Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. All right, it is Friday, April 1st, and this is no April Fool's joke, but uh, we're testing a new piece of technology today, and it started giving us some issues right at the last couple of minutes. So I'm hoping you're hearing us, and I'm hoping it sounds okay. Um, Also, my voice is still giving me problems from the truck show. Uh, At any minute, it could go out. So today is trucking efficiency and trucking technology and efficiency. John and Joel should be joining me. And once we get them in here, I'm going to turn the show over to them today because I don't trust my voice. I feel uh, like it's about ready to give out on me now. So I think we've uh, we've got Joel in here with us. Let's bring him in here quick so uh, maybe he can rescue me. Joel, welcome back. Hey, hey, Kevin, how are you? Uh, well, I've been better. My uh, my voice just does not <laughs> want to cooperate this week. I could go silent here any minute. So uh, I'm, I'm putting you guys on your own today. <laughs> I'm driving today. I'll do yeah, what oh I can boy. do. Hopefully oh we boy. get John on here. And All right, there we go. Rock we'll, and roll. Uh, we'll have to get John on. We are giving you a call screener, so Angie's going to help you out. Um, I think she's looking for John right now. Uh, the good news is we had a uh, a technology issue right up till about 30 seconds before we went live. Our sound was just awful coming through our test site, but now... I'm not sure what I did. I must have pressed the right button somewhere because Aaron says we sound great now. Sound good on my end. Oh, good. So uh, I know you've got a lot going on. I've seen some posts of yours, haven't had time to dig into them yet, but uh, tell us some of the stuff you've got going on. Oh, I've got a ton of stuff happening. Um, I have a new iTorque truck being built. It was supposed to have been built this week. It's probably going to go down the line Monday. Um, and, and so this is the, the 215 rear axle ratio with the overdrive 14-speed transmission uh, through a 6x2. So this is going to be a real interesting truck. Um, I have been driving one of my brother's fleet trucks, and so his his truck is a, a 6x4 with a 226 and a 13-speed I-shift with an overdrive. So both trucks, you know, aggressively down-sped, um, performing very well, surprisingly well in the hills, the pulling power, a um, little shot. I know that we had done some tractive effort calculations when we had you in training, and the, the numbers are spot on. The, the truck pulls exactly like the uh, tractive effort calculations tell us it should. So it's very strong in the hills as we get a little deeper in the gearbox at higher speeds than what people would expect. Uh doing some work with the people at uh, AirDog on a revised second stage for the Volvo engines. Um, just a lot of stuff in general going on. I Just a ton of stuff. Yeah, it, it sounds like it. This, this idea that we're talking about with the calculations and what we're really talking about is similar to what happened with rear end ratios. You know, in everybody's mind, if you had a 
low gear, a high rear end number, you know, we go back to 390s, 370s, in everybody's mind, that meant it would pull good. And yet, it really didn't have much to do with anything if you didn't know all of the other numbers. And and now we kind of do the same thing with horsepower and torque. Well, if you have all that horsepower, it should pull good. Except we we know we have some five or 600 horsepower trucks that don't pull all that great. And these do with less horsepower. Explain that. Well, it's it's not necessarily less horsepower. It's It's all about taking that horsepower and torque curve and then we're we're doing a tractive effort calculation that takes into consideration torque and horsepower at a specific rpm and then it takes into consideration the gear steps in the transmission the rear axle ratio and the tire size at a given road speed and that's what's important to say i have a 700 horsepower engine honestly is meaningless it does not tell you how that truck's going to perform in any given gear at any given speed with any given load and that's what tractive effort does we took it one step further in our training where we actually took that horsepower and torque curve we done the tractive effort calculation and then we overlaid the base specific fuel consumption chart and then so we could tell where our efficiency was going to be best because we have the options of running in multiple gears. So we knew in what scenario that engine was going to be the most efficient. So, you know, the old way of kind of thinking of things was, well, the engine runs best in direct drive at 1,200 RPM. That may or may not be true. We may be better off at 920 RPM in a certain circumstance in our extreme overdrive, or we may be better in underdrive at 1,550 RPM. So um, these trucks are very adaptable, and they are very smart. They know what gear to be in when. The new IC system that Volvo has is is map-based, so the truck actually knows what's in front of it before it even gets there and it can start to make some decisions on what gear it needs to be in and why based on elevation, temperature, load, road speed, all kinds of things. It's it's constantly updating and then putting you in the right gear, and it works very well. You know, that that's interesting because you and I have both been working on fuel economy for 25 or 30 years, and a lot of this is new. We didn't have access to a lot of this information. We didn't understand some of it. Now we're really finding that, like you said, there there are very, very few simple answers like, well, this is the best way to do this. There are so many variables. And in the past, we haven't really had the ability to calculate all those variables in. So we generalized and we did the best we could. But now we're getting down to these really specific parameters and measuring all of those variables and we're coming up with very different answers than what we used to think sometimes absolutely i mean it's exactly what the car industry has been doing the last few years you know nowadays you get a 10-speed automatic in a car it's not uncommon um that car is doing the same thing it's it's taken a lot of things into consideration and, and making those calculations you know things we never thought about in the past and uh it's making it work and making it work to a very high degree um this is solving a lot of our emission system issues that we had in the past 
Uh, our productivity is much better. These trucks are much more efficient at high speed. Uh, our startability is much better because the transmissions are going to have deeper starting gears now. And our overall ratios as fast as 1.60, which, you know, was unheard of just a couple of years ago, uh, is going to be commonplace. Uh, we're going to start seeing this same type of setup, I'm sure, coming out of other manufacturers before long. There's just so much upside to it and very little downside. You know, I, I just thought of something, and we have talked about, you know, direct drive in a transmission. And, you know, the closer we get to direct drive, sometimes that's more efficient. It's not everything. For a while, we thought, just keep it in direct. It's the most efficient gear we have. But now you've proven through a lot of this that yeah, you might lose some efficiency going into an overdrive, but in today's transmissions and drive lines, it's fairly small, and there's other places we're making up more efficiency, so that's another variable we weren't really able to figure out before, but I just got thinking about something when you said 1.6 in the rear end. Hell, we're approaching direct rear ends almost. Uh, yeah, getting close. Yeah, there's yeah. No, no doubt about it. Getting very close to that. So yeah, there's a lot of um, a lot of things that we really need to pay attention to with these with these new ratios that are are coming out, and uh, it, it's going to surprise some people on the efficiency and the pulling power. The pulling power is what's going to throw most people for a loop. We're so used to thinking about being in one gear getting a big hole and keeping it there you know it's it's all about top gear and uh with today's i shift for example we're about 98 percent efficient in overdrive 99 percent efficient in direct and 98 percent efficient in underdrive far more efficient than the old manual transmissions especially the double overdrive transmissions which gives us a whole lot of flexibility to uh really take advantage of that gearbox and torque multiplication at highway speed. And that's something we've never been able to do in the past. Um, and it's something that works very effectively. So my 1,850 pound feet torque engine uh, in 10th gear at 65 mile an hour is putting out, you know, out of the transmission, 2,350 pound feet of torque. We're not increasing horsepower, obviously, but that torque increase really, really is effective for, for pulling uh, power in the hills, and it's just really nice to drive. Yeah, you know, there, there's two things that have changed. Like I said, you and I have been doing this for 25-plus years, and I know, talking to you, many times we thought the same thing. We'd look at a setup and go, boy, if we just had a transmission that would do this, if we just had one more gear down at the bottom, if we just had this split, we'd be able to – we just didn't have those options. We always had to just kind of make do with the best we had. Now that seems to be one of the things that, again, Volvo specifically is really changing, saying, look, if we know where this engine should be running at all these times, why don't we build a transmission that allows that to happen more often? Is that Right. That's one of the advantages of vertical integration, where before we used to have four different engines, five different transmissions, the transmission people weren't necessarily looking at all the power curves of the different engines. And then even if they did, they couldn't build multiple different transmissions, you know, with different starting gears in order to leverage the advantage of a particular power curve. 
so, you know, we're seeing the, the vertical integration from Freightliner and from really all the manufacturers. Um, you know, Volvo's kind of led the way on that along with Mac. And uh, it's, it's something that when the engineering staff all communicates and they get together on this, we can put together some very efficient drive lines that are fun to drive even though they're not 700 horsepower because we're producing the horsepower where it counts at very low RPM. And uh, so the drivability is very good, much better than what you'd probably expect. Um, simply because that 700 horsepower engine, we're making that at crazy high RPM and we're just kind of counting on, well, if it's 700 up here, that means it's going to be higher horsepower down low and that is not always the case right and uh it's kind of surprising you know you look at a a 565 commons and i think they come in a couple of different flavors but just their 1850 um my 455 1850 tc's making more horsepower and torque at lower rpm so this truck in a downsped powertrain is actually going to outpull that 565 um, in order for you to get to that higher horsepower, then you have to go to more traditional gearing, which kind of excludes you from running at higher speeds deeper in the gearbox, and it becomes problematic, your gear bound at that point. So some really, really cool things we can do now with gearing now that we have the startability that we need. Um, and these uh, very aggressive downsped axle ratios really make for a fun truck. Yeah, you know, something else to think about, the the you know, scenario you were just giving there, you've got all this horsepower, but you're kind of gear bound. You know, we, we talk about performance and how well it pulls and even some fuel economy with that. But the one thing we haven't talked about a lot, and again, a lot of this came out of the research you've been doing, that that's a problem for emissions as well. It, it is, that, that high piston speed. And that that really goes back to the base engine architecture that we talk about when we have these engines with the very long stroke and the, the, the short rods like we, we've seen traditionally, um, we don't even have consistent piston speed through the stroke when you have an engine that way. It accelerates very quickly from top dead center, and you have very little dwell time at top dead center with an engine that's set up like that, which is never good for emissions. Um, and then it's very slow to come back up to top dead center after it's gone through the the power stroke. So it's, it's, it's slow on the way up and very fast on the way down. That big bore with the fast acceleration is putting a lot of G-force and a lot of stress and strain on that crankshaft, which has very little journal overlap. So, you know, some of the things that we used to do um, for performance uh, in the past is just going to kind of fade away. Uh, it sounds like most of the other engine OEMs, Detroit's already went to a very similar setup as the Volvo with the, with the uh, long rod short stroke design. It sounds like uh, the new international engine that Scania's producing that's coming over is going to be of a similar design to the Volvo. And I hear rumors that the 13-liter Packard is going to be completely redesigned with a very stout bottom end and that same type of design. They're going to shorten up the uh, shorten up the stroke and uh, lengthen out the uh, connecting rod, is my understanding. So, be interesting to see. 
how these other engines come to market and what they actually end up looking like. You know, it will be. We we talked about that. I know I brought it up several times after the Volvo training, and it made so much sense to me. And you look at the other engines and you say, okay, if this makes so much sense, why are they still building theirs this way? And I said, we should give them the opportunity to explain it. You know, come on and explain your engine technology. But if they're all going to start moving in that direction, then there really is no explanation. The explanation is this is a better way to build a diesel engine, and we should be building them all that way. Yeah, in the past, we always had problems. When you went to the to the design like Volvo has, um, they would feel a little bit laggy um, because of that longer um, connecting rod. It has to be a little bit heavier, a little more stout to keep it from bending and flexing. So you got a little more weight in the rotating assembly. Uh, it takes a little bit longer to get the full volume because you're, you are moving a little bit further. You have to have a little bit taller deck, full volume in the combustion chamber. But um, we overcome that today with technologies like uh, turbo compounding and asymmetric turbos they can they can really boost that that low end performance that you know was kind of lacking in the past on engines that were designed that way and and so that's why i think we saw a lot of the engines from the 70s and the 80s and early 90s come out with the long stroke short rod design just because the acceleration felt snappy on that type of design and it was a little snappier no doubt about it but now now that we have these other technologies to compensate, we can we can kind of get rid of that design, even out the piston speed throughout the stroke. It's better for emissions. It gives us more dwell time at top dead center to kind of hold that combustion in for a split second. Um, so we get we get even better uh, burn. We're not the pistons not running away from the combustion event, um, and, and so it's it just works better for emissions. It works better for power and. And like I said, with the uh, with the different types of technologies we have to, you know, either extreme turbocharging or turbo compounding, we can overcome some of the performance that uh, was always an issue in the past. You know that that brings up another good topic. Now that we're we're learning all this, if if we look back, you know, starting in the early nine or late nineties, early two thousands, when they really started dealing with the missions up until that point it was just you know the the whole point of a diesel engine we wanted more horsepower and torque you know the whole progression up until that point was just building bigger more horsepower more torque which wasn't a bad thing i mean none of us want to go back to a 290 or a 318 um but it seems like once the emissions started it seems to me like the ability for dealers and salespeople to spec it always seems like they're a generation behind. It seems like they came out with some emissions and said, oh, we should start specking trucks like this now. And they went to the whole gear fast, run slow concept, but they never seemed to really put it in place correctly. When they did, it didn't work. Um, Are we finally going to get to a place where we know how to spec these trucks and we spec them right? It's shocking to me how many trucks are running around the country just spec'd all wrong. Yeah, I I see it too every day, and I want to pull my hair out. But, I mean, this is technology that is very hard 
to get your mind around unless you're actually sitting in the seat running it down the road and going, hey, yeah, that does work. You know, salespeople are gun-shy of this stuff because when we initially rolled out emissions engines, if you remember, there was the whole emission cheating scandal that happened early on. And so EPA said, look, we're done. We're going to accelerate the time frame because you guys are cheating the system. And, you know, we really kind of done it to ourselves in in a certain sense, the, the OEMs did. And so they went to this accelerated schedule and let's face it, we just weren't ready for it. And, you know, the salespeople that were around at that time when they sold that first round of trucks and the customers were coming back wanting to scalp them, you can understand their hesitancy of trying something new once they found a spec that kind of worked for their customer. They just didn't want to deviate because they were afraid to do it. The customer was kind of the same way. You know, they had so many problems through those first couple generations of emissions engines that once they finally found something that kind of worked, they just didn't want to deviate. And uh, so now it's very hard to get salespeople and even customers to en- embrace this kind of stuff. Um, until they get in the seat. And once they get in the seat, it, it takes them about 25 miles and you just know, yeah, you know, yeah. it, it's pretty cool. You're, you're like, wow, this, this is the real deal. It pulls good. You can, you can just feel how, how good it runs. And, uh, so it's going to sell itself. It's going to take a little bit to, to get it out into the marketplace. You know, I, I, you know, I talk about Volvo a lot. Detroit's done a, a, a pretty good job with things. I think they're, they're one of the, the better, um, they got one of the better specs out there, uh, similar to what Henry Albert's running. Um, of course, I like the Volvo spec. The new iTorque, I think, is my personal opinion. It's head and shoulders better than anything out there because it's very efficient, but it pulls very well because we have torque multiplication at highway speed. And as far as I'm aware, nobody else really has that ability to run down in 10th gear at the higher speeds and really leverage that that torque multiplication and and that's what really makes this fun to drive um so there's a a lot of new technologies coming down the pike i am sure that all the other oems will be putting out a very similar setup in the near future um i i happen to think that in particular with the d13 tc the turbo compounded engine that that's going to probably keep Volvo out in the forefront in terms of fuel efficiency. You know, I I agree, and I I do think that it's going to be a while if... I I mean, we've never really gotten to the point where the salespeople were really good at specking trucks. I don't think we're going to get there anytime soon. Now, you and I get frustrated with it. We think, why are all these trucks running around specs so bad? But it, in, there's another way to look at it. Uh, as long as that's the case, people like you are just that much more valuable. I mean, if everybody knew this, what would we be doing, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's true to a point. But the, the, the one way of looking at this, when you take the new Volvo iTorque with a 215 with a crawler gear and an overdrive, there's literally nothing that that truck cannot do. So the customer doesn't have to choose between direct or over anymore. You got both at highway speed. You even have under at highway speed. You have a crawler gear, so you can take that thing off road if you want to. There's just not much that a salesperson is going to have to know once they get comfortable with the iTorque concept. Yeah, I, I agree. If we get there, 
I mean, we'll see. I, I don't know if we will or not. One point I, I want to go back to, because I've been thinking about it since you said it, um, and a, a lot of people may not even realize this today. You're right. We have cars with 10-speed automatic transmissions. 10-speed. I can remember mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how it wasn't, uh, wasn't one of the early two automatic... Tra- two I, I was just going to say, wasn't the Power Glide yeah. a two-speed yeah. transmission? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah. I had a 348 Chevy with a two-speed power glide. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah two I, speed. I, I was just thinking about <laughs> that. Now we're looking that. at 10 and 12 speeds in a car. In yeah. a car. Now yeah, let's crazy. Let's think about something yep. else along with that because this it, this is kind of going on in trucks. You know, we think of a let's go to a 12-speed transmission in a car. Well, we think, oh, no big deal. Mm-hmm. We have 18 speeds in trucks. We've had them forever. We shift them. We used to have two sticks. We used to shift them. But try to imagine mm-hmm. taking that 10 or 12 speed transmission in a car today and make it a manual. I, the driver would never be able to shift it. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It, and it's it's amazing how good how well they do you know and and uh it's reflected in the fuel mileage and the performance of the car nobody second guesses an automatic in a car anymore right you just don't right. they're just that good yeah and and you just you know and same we, same things happening in the truck here yeah it it'll take this i think this uh you know our generation is is on its way out you know the baby we're the end of the baby boomers they're we're heading into retirement yeah i think that's when it's going to change because you know the attitude when auto shifts first came out oh that's not a real truck oh no i you 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 have to shift and and that may be but in today's world if you want the most efficient driveline for fuel mileage and emissions maintenance all of that you're not going to shift these things yourself you wouldn't be able to no, and and what the big uh, I think um, the kind of holdback was on the the automated manuals in terms of efficiency was is is they could never see down the road and understand what's in front of them. Now they can. In fact, they know before the driver does, especially if it's an area that the driver's never been to. That truck knows what's three miles up the road, what's right. coming, and what it needs to do. Um, and so that's, that's where the huge advantage is going to come here. Um, you know, the adding a few extra gears is critical to get the right rear axle ratios. It's just something really kind of fun to point out that I don't think most people think about. So what we done when we were looking at this high torque is we took a topography map of the United States. And when you break the, the highway average grades out, so, you got about 60% of the United States is uh, 0.8% grade or less. And then you're looking at like uh, 30% is 1.25%. And I forget what the rest of it is, is at 1.65%. And when you look at the gradeability in the iTorque, it's 0.8 in overdrive, 1.25 in direct, and 1.65 just 80,000 pounds. So we made that to exactly match yeah. the average topography of the country. And, and so now a lot of people are going, well, I go up 6% grades. When you look at grade on a highway, that is peak grade. Correct. And you can pre- pretty well bet that that actual grade is about half of what the peak grade is. So when you think you're pulling an 8% grade, you're probably pulling a 4% grade in reality, and it has a peak of 8 at some point. Right. 
And so that's important to understand. The other thing that's important to understand is if I took a actual 6% grade and you take momentum out of the equation with 80,000 pounds to maintain 65 mile an hour up that grade requires 1,125 horsepower. <laughs> right, which we are never going to produce out of a diesel engine that's efficient. We're just not going to do it. I, I, it right, yeah, right, yeah. right. That's that's exactly right. It's, it's um, it, you know, this the, the 455 and 500, it's plenty if the engine's making the horsepower at a low enough RPM. And... Um, it's it's we have the gearing to to leverage the benefits of the you know the torque and the horsepower that it's making uh, you you get very good performance out of these trucks especially when we can start multiplying torque well and here's the other and highway thing speeds that's yeah, what's important yeah here's the other thing to think about like you said they took the numbers for average grade all that and they matched the transmission to the averages around the country now somebody's going to say well I run west out of Denver every day. Uh, well, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to have some issues, but you're going to spend more time in those grades. But so what? This truck's been designed to do that. That it. We're not saying that you're screwed. If Correct. It, it, Correct. It does good in all of these situations. That's the point of it. And it, and the other Correct. thing, if yeah, you look we, at the amount of time. On a trip you spend at any any real grade, we're down to seconds. I mean, at the end of the trip, you might be able to measure it in minutes, but not many minutes. Well, right, and and also the thing to remember is is that we can continue to get deeper into the gearbox with with these aggressively downsped trucks, but you're at higher speed deeper into the gearbox. Right. And that's what a lot of people don't realize. They think, oh, my God, we're down to eighth gear. It's 25 mile an hour. Exactly. Well, it's not. a traditionally geared truck, it is. <laughs> right. Yeah, but in, in my truck, eighth gear may be 52 mile an hour. Exactly. So that's why it's important to do that tractive effort calculation to understand how much pulling power. So right now... With my 455-1850 with the 13-speed and the 2.16 rear axle ratio, I pull, or the tractive effort calculation at 65 mile an hour is exactly on par with that 565-1850 Cummins with them in overdrive with traditional gearing and me in 10th gear with my ratio, we have dead even tractive effort pulling hills. And we know which one's right. going to work better. I have better. the exact same. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, you know right. who's going to be more efficient as soon as we get on the flat. And you right. spend most of your time on the under 0.8% grade. Yeah, yep. exactly. Good, good. So, yeah, it's a huge efficiency gain to be had there. All really good points. What do you say we take some questions? Absolutely. All right, let's get started. We're going to go to uh, Texas. We do have lines open. I know we haven't gotten calls yet because we had a lot to talk about, but uh, if you want to jump in now, we've got about 30 minutes left for calls and questions. 855-950-3835. We're going to head off to Texas. Paul, welcome to the program. Howdy. Um, I've been having some over the last couple of months, two of my batteries, I've been getting a lot of corrosion on the negative terminal, just on two of them. Well, 
the other day it seemed a little sluggish to crank over. So last night, uh, I, I give my batteries a hard time. A lot of hotel load, electric PTO and all that good stuff. So they, I just about replace them every year or every 15 months. But um, I unplugged everything last night, shut it off, and it cranked up real good this morning. Like nothing was wrong, but I'm thinking I might just replace them. Maybe might be a good idea. So. What uh, what kind of batteries? Just your regular lead. Acid. Well, there there's your problem. You just said you abuse your <laughs> batteries with hotel loads and the PTO and and lead acid batteries yeah. were designed to do one thing: start a vehicle. They'll put out, you know, a decent amount of of cranking amps all at once. They do not like to be discharged. You know, a lead-acid battery wants to stay at a high voltage all the time. And when we used to use them just to start a vehicle, they did. You barely drew down the voltage starting it unless you had a starting issue. And then your alternator immediately kicks in and recharges it. It never would allow that battery to drop in voltage all day long. Well, now when we turn the key off and then we run these hotel loads, we're drawing that battery way down to a lower voltage than it likes to be, and it doesn't like to be discharged and recharged. It likes to be charged, hold that voltage as high as possible, and anything other than that is just hard on them. Um, just a simple switch to a, a you know deep cycle, glass mat, anything other than a lead acid would be a huge improvement. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. And one of the things that we found, um, and we struggled with the whole battery issue for for quite a while, uh, one of the absolute greatest things that we found for improving battery life is uh, um, solar. Oh, there Uh, you go. Solar on all of our trucks. Now, now I know you probably don't have room on a car hauler, but... uh, Man, if you can get any type of solar on there, you know, it really helps to maintain the voltage. And quite honestly, you can put about any piece of junk battery you want in there if you've got good solar. And it's going to, like, triple the life of it. It's crazy um, how well that works. And, uh, you know, the, the the new solar out there is relatively affordable, too. It's not all that crazy price-wise. You know, it is. And, and well, uh, there's, a, there's a good point there because with solar what's happening is it would be similar to having a trickle charger installed all the time and every time you turn the key off something was trickle charging your battery which is really good for them and it keeps them conditioned and that's basically what a a good solar setup is doing it's constantly conditioning almost and trickle charging the battery at least my room made flat (laughs) to put a solar panel on if yeah if you've got room you should really really think about that you'll be surprised um what that's going to do for your battery life i know it's it's been uh a godsend for us we're doing the same thing we're replacing batteries every year didn't make any difference what we put in we put in the glass mat they fail in the heat we put in the lead acid they fail in the cold um it, it really didn't make any difference they had the exact same failure rate at just about the same time um, until we we got the solar on there, then I think the glass mat does a little bit better with solar. 
Um, but the lead acid itself, even the, even the dirt cheap batteries, when you put solar on it, it's surprising how long they'll last. Yeah, you, you know what? Flat roof for it. So it well, there you I go. Like a four foot, four foot by four foot. Actually, this is kind of funny. This is I just pulled into the fuel. This is mm-hmm. it's an old school bus, but I just looked over and it's got four big solar panels on the top of it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, yeah exactly. Awesome. Yeah. You know, I, like okay, I said, okay. I, I, I was shocked when I went to replace the uh, the battery on my vehicle that it wasn't a lead-acid battery. It was a glass mat. And and my only thought was they these cars are getting so heavily electronic that they've also realized that lead-acid doesn't do well in these. Right, yeah, that that's exactly right. And um, I, there was a couple of Hyundai concept cars out that they were integrating solar panel roofs that were kind of see-through, kind of translucent into the car. So you kind of had a, like a moonroof effect, but it was a solar panel as well. And part of the reasoning was just what you're talking about. Even though it was still an internal combustion engine, very heavy on the computer controls and all the electronic stuff it takes to make those things work. Well, and even like creature comforts, you know, I, I think we all have experienced heated seats and how nice they are in the wintertime. But now there's heated steering wheels and I'm seeing vehicles with four seats heated now. You think about the electrical draw from that kind of stuff. It's a lot. Yeah, I, I've got a Lexus that has an electric sway bar that has like an electric motor in the middle of that sway bar, and it can independently <laughs> pull one side of the car down or the other. And, and you know, it's, it's electrically driven, and yeah, so there is a lot of electrical power going on in today's cars. That's that's exactly right. Oh, you just reminded me of a uh, another technology we were pretty familiar with, which was um, Bose and their seat which originally the original design and idea for that was a full-blown automotive suspension, not just a seat, but a full-blown suspension for a car. And from what I understand, there is a European manufacturer that's going to build a car with this. But now your, your suspension is controlled by uh, like servos, like electric, electromagnetic these things draw a lot of power the biggest problem they had to solve with the seat was when they got the seat to work right it would draw the batteries down they had to go back to the drawing board and say look we can't ask these trucks to put in bigger alternators we got to solve this and they figured out uh, along the same lines of the axles we have now the motion of the seat became its own power generator They started pulling power off the motion of the seat, and they had to just to make the seat functional, even with those four big batteries we have in trucks. Yeah, so the same same basic premise that the Bose seat works on, Link Manufacturing does their ROI cab mate. So they're applying that technology to the cab suspension, which I've had three test units of those and it works really well 
where that technology originated from was General Motors was trying to come up with a shock absorber for the Corvette that they could instantly change the, the dampening rates and they're passing electrical current through this special oil that it, it has metallic <laughs> particles. It's, it's crazy, but it works. It, it, <laughs> it, it, it works really well, so it's, it's pretty damn cool. It, it is, and it's uh, pretty incredible technology, but it's also very power-intensive. So now we're back to, you know, we need more batteries and better batteries and more solar and better charging. And All right, let's uh, let's grab another call let's go to uh virginia danny welcome to the program hello kevin what's on your mind today um i just wanted to give you some updates or a little more info on that video i posted about that volvo electric truck um when i took that video i know it's hard to hear there's a lot of noise in the background that was after the show was over. The reason I'd seen it is that I told you I took a trailer out from the show, and it was over there by that Volvo. So there wasn't anybody from Volvo to ask any questions. So I just looked the truck over and took the video. What was odd, unlike Tesla, this truck had a drive axle and a differential. But it had an electric motor under the hood, which I'm thinking maybe turned some kind of transmission. Correct. So, it goes through a two-speed transmission. Oh, so you know about it, Joel? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, um, it goes through, okay. a, through a two-speed transmission um, it, for low-speed maneuverability and then highway speed. And then they also offer it with a two-speed rear axle as well so you basically have four speeds um and and i'm not exactly sure they were looking for some crazy great ability out of it when you order that two-speed uh axle option um i know there was a company out in california that actually just took delivery of 143 electric trucks and that is the biggest electric truck order globally to date actual order where they've been built and delivered to the customer so a lot of hype about electric trucks you would you would think that there was a million of them on the road (laughs) there's not that many so uh, you know 143 was a pretty big order got it and another thing kevin you just mentioned the bose air ic and i remember there was a company there at the show I forget the name. I, I can look it up when I get home because I think I still got the pamphlet on it. But it was a similar seat to the Bose. The only thing, their demonstration, you sit on the seat on a platform. And, um, you know, I don't know if you remember the Bose had their little display. Right. This one, I don't, it didn't, it didn't ride. I mean, it. Bose almost had it to where you couldn't feel anything. This one here still had some kind of vibration to it, not as much as, you know, without the thing active. But it was also a lot cheaper. Uh, you could have took one home from the show for 700 bucks. Oh, then the technology was nowhere near what Bose is doing then. 
I mean, that, that, I, I understand no, the technology but... and the parts that Bose needed to build that seat, and you couldn't do it for $700. No way. I, I have no idea what their technology is, but can't be much. Eleven. It was 1100 normally. They had a $400 discount if you well, bought it, I carried it out. But I have to. It, br- I didn't. I didn't think it was as good as the Bose as far as the ride. Well, it can't be. Can't even be close. I can't. Like I said, I can't even imagine what technology they're attempting. Can't you spend twenty five hundred or three thousand on a seat with no technology today? Yes. Yeah, if you go get the top of the line, whatever seat you want to go get, you're into several thousand dollars with no technology of any kind. So I have no idea what the hell they're building for eleven hundred bucks, but can't be much. You know, we were approached by a company that that bought the the licensing of that from Bose, bought the technology from them, and wanted to work with us. And and we basically said, you know, we we tried it once, and you know, with uh, with all the Bose support behind it, and it didn't work. And and it didn't work because of cost. The industry doesn't see the benefit. It wasn't just the idea behind the seat wasn't just to stop those big bumps. The idea behind the seat was to stop the the minor vibrations all day that we don't even feel or understand that are there, but affect our health. And there was even a safety issue to it. But the the uh, the industry won't spend any money on things like safety and health unless they're forced to. Uh, we are going to bring in what now is a special guest for today. Uh, John is joining us. John is in the house. John, yeah. welcome. <laughs> I uh, got roped into going to a racetrack this weekend by my son, and uh, he was uh, approached by a team to test a new car of theirs. And anytime uh, that happens, it turns into a whole bunch of work. Hey, hey, John. So, John. Uh, I, hey. Yeah. Hey. Not only did you get roped into it, I think they tied you up and threw you in the corner a, a hundred feet away from your mic. We can't hear you. Oh, okay. Let me let me uh, disconnect. Can you hear me now? That's really distant. Hold on. I'm just going to unplug my phone from the uh, CarPlay, and uh, I just drove to a remote corner of the track where it was quiet. Got it. Yeah. Can you hear me now? Oh, much, much, much better. Good. All right. So, all right. Yeah. So, so I got the, and it turns out this we missed the morning session because it's already so much work. Uh, and our second session started at 11, So, uh, and the car ran out and ran for half an hour successfully, so we're happy. <laughs> Got it. So now you can uh, you can try to save me. I've, I've no, been, I can talk to you guys. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, been, uh, I've been asking Joel questions that I know will take him a long time to answer so I can rest my voice in between. <laughs> <laughs> it's been working. Yeah, I know. Like, like... You'd all be like, hey, Joel, that's really interesting. Could you explain the technology behind that? And then I hit the mute button and start, yeah. Yeah, yeah, start. Again, like that bathroom break, that bathroom break conversation we had a few shows ago. That's exactly yeah. right. There you go. Yeah, we, we, we've got this figured out. We don't need no stinking breaks. We'll, uh, so, so, John, it's your turn. What's going on with you? Um, lots and lots. I'm busy. Um, been doing some suspension work. I had a couple of 
curve that I've redesigned the front suspension on a few years ago. And some people found me out of the blue, I don't know where, and sent me two more cars to redo all the roll centers and instantaneous center. And I built my own uh, spindles for the front and so forth to get the geometry where I wanted it. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm really busy with that right now and getting out to the track. Uh, I've got uh, another deal this year on another really big, fancy prototype with lots of aerodynamic stuff on it and a very open class. Hey, hey! Something weird is happening with your phone again. You go from being really loud and clear to being really muffled and quiet. Oh, okay. I'm just talking to my phone with it up to my ear right now. Um, let me try to drive somewhere. I'm in a car at a racetrack in the middle of nowhere, South Carolina. Um, this is see if I can get the better better yeah. service. Yeah, this is uh, this is not your normal radio show. Joel's out there driving a truck, probably backing into some complicated dock while is he, he's explaining. <laughs> I, I, I just I just got backed in. Wait, I know. While is explaining tractic tractic effort or whatever the hell that is. He was explaining something complicated while we're backing up, and now John's out uh, at the racetrack going, oh, "Let me find another spot on the track I, here." I, I almost so, so, so I almost jumped in on your tractive effort uh, post on the. Uh, can you hear me better now? Uh, a little bit. You still kind of keep fading out some weird things going on. All right. I That's better. Power from where I right am, there. So, uh, what, better? Whatever I'm, you're I'll, doing, I'll don't right move here. the phone. Don't turn your head. <laughs> don't do anything. All right. Cool. <laughs> I went from one end of the paddock to the other. It's good. Uh, so, yeah, the, the attractive effort, or track, yeah, it was, it was, that was fantastic when you were talking about the changes to your um, your bus and the horsepower and torque numbers. And I, I just wanted to chime in there and say, have you forgotten your training, Kevin? You know what happened here. You need to look at that curve of, the, of those numbers that they gave you. Here's a question for you, John. Here's a uh-huh. question for you. Since I, I don't... I don't understand the whole thing behind the tuning and what happens in the background. I, I kind of have a general overall idea of what's going on. So when somebody goes in and they tune an engine, do they have the ability to produce the, the base-specific fuel consumption chart then to go along with that so you can really understand what really just happened or no? Um, yes and no. Uh, with the correct equipment, yes. With the equipment in, that was used on Kevin's bus, no. In, in my mind, and you can slap me upside you, the head you here would calculate, if, if, you, if, if you, you think would I'm wrong. It after the fact. Uh, yeah, I, I, to me, if I'm going to have somebody tune something, they damn well better bring me tractive effort and a BSFC chart overlaid with a new power curve so I understand exactly what just happened. Because, I mean, otherwise, you're just kind of guessing. You are. Right. Right. Okay. All right. I, 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 so, just, I, I never knew that for sure. I didn't understand what was going on there. So um, you just you, you cleared and, up some things for me. <laughs> and, and, and I think that uh, it, it, we... Uh, so, so when they tune... They go in and they move around timing curves and and uh, fueling curves and pulse widths at different times at different requested torques. When you you know when you push on a pedal, you know they, you request a certain torque number you know that's calculated, and then it, it applies fuel at a certain rate and changes the timing at a certain rate. And so they just go in there and tweak on that stuff until they get the number that they like on their dyno. Nothing you could go back and calculate BSFC 
I believe. Um, mm. Maybe not with what they use. The, the dyno at Pittsburgh Power is a classic water brake dyno. You just spin the engine the whole way up and load it and yank it down. And then it, it figures everything else out from there. If it were a eddy current dyno, uh, electronic dyno with the, with the correct controls and so forth, I think that would be easier to calculate that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. They do make use of a fuel management use unit, but that's never really worked all that well, uh, where you just measure the fuel in and out, which isn't a bad thing to do either, but you should be able to calculate it. You know, you should be able to figure so, it out through pulse width and pressure. So, um, it, 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 Yeah, I was going to say maybe, maybe one of the things we'll be able to do through all this is uh, get to a point where that is how we start to tune trucks. Well, you would think that would be the ideal way because, okay, you have a tune put on your coach. You should be able to say, okay, when I'm in top gear before I had this many pound feet of tractive effort, now I have this at this speed and this RPM. And that at that point, we can start saying it's going to be more fuel efficient because we're seeing a drop in, in parasitic drag, but we're seeing an increase in tractive effort. Yeah, and I- if driven correctly, we could say, absolutely, there is potential for fuel efficiency increase. Right now, we don't know that. All we know is we've got more power. It may be more fun to drive. Is it more efficient? We can't so, really say. So far, it's probably not. And and I've been having a little more fun with it and, you know, seeing what it'll do. And it, But so far, I'm not seeing any significant increase. I, I could say, yeah, we're up a couple tenths maybe on average, but I haven't really done a long, you know, day of 10 or 12 hours and I've been back and forth you know more on the between kind of Cleveland and Pittsburgh area I, I I don't see I mean if I get it out on the open road and I really start playing with it and paying attention I'm sure I'll be able to get my fuel mileage up some but you also have to remember I went in and I said look guys it, it I don't even want to mess with fuel economy just make it fun to drive they succeeded. Sure, sure. It's really fun to drive now. But you're right. On trucks, we should start saying, wait a minute. We have this knowledge. We know how to do this. Let's let's figure out how to measure this better. And, and we should start tuning trucks that way. Uh, let's grab a uh, – my voice is about to die here. Let's grab a, uh, a call real quick. We're going to go to Idaho. RJ, welcome to the program. Hey, good afternoon. Good afternoon. What's on your mind today? Hey, um, I wanted to talk to John. Um, I just got back some uh, bearings from WPC for three of my axles. I'm going to have them installed. I'm going to have them installed this weekend. I'm just wondering, um, can I expect maybe a couple of tenths of a mile per gallon? Hey. Uh, do you have any experience with that? That's what we've seen, yeah. And you could run a lighter oil. Um, I'm not sure. Would you, which axle are you putting them in? Say again? Which axles are they going in? Your drive axles? Uh, yeah, the steer axle and both drive axles. And both drive axles yeah. on the tractor. Uh, right? And then uh, next will be one axle on my trailer because I, I have a lift kit on my trailer where I lift one axle all the time, so I'm only riding on one axle. Right, right. Again, I really believe this. Go ahead. 
So, and then when I'm done with that, I was thinking my differentials because I was going to read gear so that I could, right now I'm driving at 1450 RPMs with a C12. It would probably reduce me down to just under 1300 to put me in direct also. And so with those three efficiencies, I was thinking of doing that instead of the transmission. Uh, I, I agree with all of it. About right? That does sound about okay. right, yeah. Well, make sure when you install those bearings that whoever does it uses a Dr. Freeload kit to cool you on that, but make sure you don't put too much Freeload on those bearings. You don't need it. So um, that'll make a huge you difference. You say pre- uh, Freeload? Dr. Freeload, yes. Yeah, so there's a there's a Freeload number that they'll use, you know, to come with the, you know, the bearings when you buy them. There's from the 300 pounds or whatever this friendly uh-huh. device that you actually set the preload on the bearing meaning in, in thousands of an inch you, you you load it correctly with it with that right am I correct on that though I personally use it yeah yeah ex- yep yep you got it yeah so make sure the shop you go to to install the bearings uses one of those instead of just the door graph method that's all in order to find that shop, you may go to Dr. Freeload's website. I think they have a list of shops out there because um, not not all shops are going to have that tool to be able to set that like that. Oh, dang. Right. <laughs> so I'm glad to see you guys using that. This WPC process is fantastic. We use it throughout motorsport. Um, works great in transmission. When you do your uh, the high point gears, uh, I have another process for those. Whenever when you change your ring and pinion, um, the, that is the one area where we don't find much gain with the WPC. But there's another process. It's a micro polishing uh, that works better on the ring and pinion. Now, that's the only place where the micro polish is superior to the uh, WPC is on the ring and pinion itself. Got it. Sounds like we're going to have to do a show about this. Oh, okay. That's uh, we put so much time and effort into that stuff on the race car. We believe it, and it, it's just it's just free horsepower, free time on the watch. Um, you know, because we watch everything else so closely. You know, our alignments are always perfect. Our wheels are always pointed in the right direction. You get to the point where you have to have all the drag out of the bearings and all the drag off of it, ring and pinion and the gears and everything. And our and the big straight cut gears in them, and it's it's you know they're noisy, but they they're more efficient. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we, we spend a ton of time on, on things like preload on bearings, uh, surface treatments. It, it, and again, it just, it, it comes right off the watch. It's, there's, and, it's a no brainer. And just, here, yeah. here's why I think this is such a huge advantage for us in trucking, having you come on and join us. I, I can't imagine the amount of money and expense that goes into that kind of testing. It, we wouldn't be able to do it in trucking. There's just not enough of a return, but if we can piggyback off what we're finding, if you're taking off seconds, then we're taking off fuel consumption, even if it's minor. Even if it's minor, yeah. And again, I'll circle back to the maintenance end, though. Like I said, we watch all of our stuff so closely around it. That's where a lot of these guys sometimes will admit it. I hate to see people spend money on you know, real low drag bearings, and then they've got their rear axles you know, three degrees apart or something, creating a whole right. bunch of friction going down the road. Good point. So you know, make make sure your you know, make sure that maintenance stuff is perfect. I mean, that's got to be you know, that's got to be a, a constant, the maintenance and the alignment and so forth. 
you know, and worn out bushings that are causing an axle to move a little bit. It, it, things like that, that all cost efficiency. Then when you start doing the mods and getting the drag out, it, it's instant money in the bank. I, you know, that's, but you have to take care of the maintenance first. I think there's another good show there to yeah. go back to basics on the maintenance. Hey, I hate to cut you guys off, but we are completely out of time. I got to wrap this up. We will do it again next week. If you guys are available, we could start doing this every week if you're available, but we got to go. I will see you back here on Monday. <laughs>